Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you, of course, with your daily dose of UFC. Speaking of UFC, we are coming off of a huge event. UFC 292 happened this past Saturday, and it did not disappoint. I was very happy, very happy with how it turned out. We, of course, have a new champion. Sean O'Malley is the new bantamweight champion. We'll be going over every fight from the event, uh, recapping it, giving my thoughts, what's next for each fighter, before the rankings come out tomorrow, Tuesday, August 21st, I believe. Maybe August 22nd. I don't know. I lose track of days now that I'm back at college. That's right, if no one knows. I am a, gosh, I'm a junior now at Minnesota State Mankato. Very good, uh, very good college. We're top, top five, top three always in hockey for college. But I mean, our football program not the best. Baseball, uh, track and women's volleyball. I think we're pretty good. I don't, I don't really know to be honest. But yeah, I'm back. I do have my own apartment down here, not in the dorms. So it is nice seeing um, kind of a smaller area now to record. I'm gonna try and figure out area, maybe. A mini studio in my living room or something. We're, we're going to work on it. But yeah, I'm glad to be back down here doing my own thing. Kicking off some new classes. I mean, I'm I'm majoring in marketing. So it's all business classes now. I mean, I'm taking principles of marketing, principles of management, business finance. I mean, legal environment of business. I mean, I'm going to be a full businessman by the time. I'm all graduated from here. And I was always thinking that it would be cool to own my own business one day. I don't exactly know what I would do, but I like to look at this podcast as a start of something that I could use for my business venture. And I can even build a brand around this, such as Joe Rogan, for example, or the Sean Ryan show, or the Lex Friedman show, or Andrew Huberman. I mean, so many other podcasts out there. I recommend all those guys. They are so good at their jobs, and I'm working on becoming good at mine. And we have a lot to cover today. The return episode to college is a big one for me. So we have. Um, I'm feeling a lot of. I'm feeling a lot of stuff into this. So we're gonna be going over UFC 292, recapping it, going through all the fights as I mentioned. We're also gonna be covering Dana White's Contender Series. This is season seven for it, episode three, which will be coming out tomorrow, Tuesday, which is the 22nd. I did double check. I actually start my first uh, classes tomorrow. I'm actually I'm actually in class from 9.30 to 3.15 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I, I only go to class two days a week, but I I mean, I'm sure I'll have a lot of out-of-class out work, and I do have an online class that I have to do, but anyways, Dan White's Canary Series contender series happening tomorrow. Only four fights now. We'll be getting into that in a second, but I'm officially doing a full uh, preview of that. We're also going to be going over fantasy football notes I've been doing. I was on TikTok a lot recently. I was seeing all these fantasy football experts per se. Everyone says they're an expert. Follow my page for how to win your fantasy league. So I compiled the notes from a bunch of different creators, and I'm going to go over them all and see what we all think, if they're good, if they're not good. Because actually, I'm I'm in a 12-man league this year. I'm in. I'm gonna work on getting in the six-man. I'm gonna work on setting up a couple other leagues. Because I mean, fantasy football is just so much fun, and it makes watching the games so much better. So I'm very excited for that. We also have a surprise topic for the first time in weeks. I mean, I guess I'm always saying surprising stuff. 
if you don't watch UFC, every episode could be a surprise. But uh, we usually do segments where we cover a specific topic. And this week, we're talking about processed foods. What is processed foods? What's classified as one? How to avoid them? How to determine which ones are good and stuff? I mean, we're going to be going over all of that. So, I mean, without ado, we'll just dive right into everything. I'm very excited. I'm working on getting some more guests on. My only issue with guests is that I only have one microphone because I... I'm not making any money off of this yet, so everything's just coming out of pocket. And I don't work during the school year, so the summer. I just made a bunch of money working, which I enjoyed doing so much. I I worked at this place called Custom Remodelers. I basically worked in their warehouse. I delivered supplies, siding, doors, windows, all that type of stuff. And it was fun. I enjoyed the people there. I enjoyed the company. And I made some good money. And this money will then be put towards supporting myself for the upcoming college year. So let's dive in to the podcast. Now the intro is over. I always make long intros and get sidetracked, but I suppose it doesn't matter because, I mean, this is just me having a conversation with you guys, the audience. So it, it is, I always see people saying, oh, when you have a podcast and you're alone, it's super awkward. But I say it's not that awkward because I just imagine I'm talking to the you guys, talking to my listeners, my viewers, and just informing you about stuff I want to talk about. And at the end of the day, if you do something that you love without expecting an audience, usually that's when you get an audience. So I'm going to continue to do my own thing. Hopefully people listen. And if you don't, I, I encourage you to be open-minded about all sorts of things. But okay, enough of my rants. These always happen. Let's let's dive into some some fighting, some MMA, Dana White's Contender Series, Season 7, Episodes 3, of course, going down Tuesday, August 22nd, so it'll be going down tonight if you listen to uh, tomorrow, but if you don't, then you'll hear my predictions of sorts, because I'll, I'll give some predictions, I love predicting fights. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been a decent season, I've caught a couple of the fights from the first two episodes, but for no one that knows what Dana White's Contender Series is, Every Tuesday for, I'd say, um, two months, maybe three months, Dana White hosts Dana White's Contender Series where he brings in prospects. I mean, they could be young, they could be old, and gives them a shot. They have one fight, and if it impresses him, he gives them a contract. And if you want to know, Sean O'Malley actually came from the first season of the Contender Series. So did Jamal Hill, the uh, current light heavyweight champion, although... He did vacate the belts. So I don't know if they've officially stripped him yet. But you've had so many legends come from the, from the Contender Series. And it's just a great opportunity for these guys to get into the UFC. Because this is a dream for so many fighters is to make it into the UFC. And something like this is exactly how you get into the UFC. So let's go over the fights. There are five fights every single week. Sometimes there's six. I think I've seen six once or twice. I can't really recall. But unfortunately for this event, there's only four as a fighter missed weight. That is right. Felipe Dos Santos was supposed to take on Luciano Pereira in a flyweight bout this uh, this episode of the Contender Series. However, Luciano had some weight issues and was not medically cleared to fight. I don't know if he missed weight, if the weight cut was going bad, but he had weight issues and that fight was off. This was a shame. Luciano was 13 and 1. He was only 22 years of old. And Felipe, 7 and 0, also only 22 years old, turning 23 September 11th. Man, just unfortunate. 
I feel bad for Felipe, you know, undefeated prospect, 7-0, wanting to make his debut in the UFC, and he's not able to because of outside factors not in his control. So that fight is sadly off. We will proceed with four fights, but you know what? I hope Felipe gets a shot in the UFC, and as for Luciano, that, that you got to really assess yourself in the mirror. Like, this is your dream, and are you not committed enough to maintain your weight stuff so but if unless it was like an illness or something then i do feel for him but if that's not the case shame on you but let's dive into some fights that are actually happening on the card starting off the night we will have a featherweight bout between luis pagelo nickname is corazon de leon very very fancy and i know he's from peru Very, very cool very cool name He'll be taking on Robbie Razor Ring. Ooh, some some good nicknames for these two. My goodness. Going down in the 145-pound division, I mean, Luis has an inch in height over Robbie, and he also has an inch in reach. They're both orthodox fighters. Luis is 28 years of age, turns 29 December 18th, and Robbie Ring is 23 years old. Born in 2000. It's so weird that I'm born in 2002, and I'm so used to seeing every fighter from the 1990s back. But hey, as time moves on, we start getting fighters from 2000 and forward, which I just find so cool. Luis Pagelo debuted in 2019. He has six of his seven wins by TKO and is currently riding a four-fight win streak. Very, very impressive stuff from him. I mean, he's only been fighting four years. You're 7-1 on a four-fight win streak, and you're getting a chance to make it to the UFC. Robbie Ring. Actually, yeah, Robbie Ring is his name. Robbie Razor Ring. It's like a little riddle. Last fought on April 22nd, 2023. He has three KOs and three subs. All six of his fights are finishes. Yet to lose, he actually holds a win over Jacob Kilburn. Jacob Kilburn is a UFC vet, actually. He fought in the UFC in 2019 twice. Got submitted by uh, Billy Cortillo, I believe, and lost the decision to Austin Lingo. But hey, a name on Robbie Ring's w- radar of sorts. I'm very torn on this fight. You know, Robbie and Luis, both young, both fairly new to the um, professional fight game. But just purely going off of record and finishes, I'm actually going to go with Robbie Ring. Robbie Razor Ring will be my prediction. I'm not very confident. I will not be betting. Although, judging by my uh, UFC 292 predictions, I should bet. I should bet. I did very good. We'll get to that later. But I'm going to go with Robbie. I just feel that... Actually, I I have no consensus. I have no height thing. I just... I looked at the fighters. I looked at their wins, their fight, their finishes. When they last fought... And I'm just going to go with Robbie Ring. But yes, that'll be your first fight on Dana White's Contender Series. Next up will be a woman's strawweight bout. That's 115 pounds. As Isis Verbeek, the fight queen, will take on Josephine Thunder Knutson. Wow, some very some very interesting names here. Isis, <laughs> okay, we're just going to call her Verbeek because I'm not going to go Isis. So Verbeek is from the Netherlands. She is 5 and one has an inch in height over Josephine, a notable four inches in reach. She is born January 12, 1995. 
what, what is that going to make her? 30, 30, 28 actually. I believe she's 28 years of age, making Josephine 27. Josephine actually debuted in 2021 of her five pro fights. She has one knockout. Other four are decisions. Notably, she is actually a gold medalist by now, Sweden, I should say. In a Muay Thai in 2018, she won a gold medal in the Muay Thai. I don't know if that's Olympics or how that works, but that's just how it is. And Josephine actually won on the Road to UFC um, Season 1, Episode 3, which was sort of an um, international thing. The UFC was doing more with Asian fighters. This went down last summer, and she got a unanimous decision victory over Yadam Sao. That, that is her name, Yadam Sao. And she did it using her grappling 4 for 4 on takedowns, 5 minutes, 50 seconds control time. I mean, total strike 71 to 11 in favor of Josephine. So despite being talented in the stand-up, I mean, she's also talented on the ground. She's also undefeated, I mean, Isis. Most notably, she actually trains out of uh, Team Biggie Boy, you know, with uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck. So she does train at the same gym as him. But I'm going to go with Josephine Knudsen. I mean, I just love undefeated fighters. They're so fun to pick. And plus, she's a gold medalist. She's fought in UFC-level competition before. So Josephine is my prediction, but this will be a, this will be a close fight between those two. Moving into our co-main event of the evening, although they don't even call it co-main or main event even, but I'm gonna. We have a welterweight bout between Kalik Brito and Oban the Welsh Gangster. Elliot. I mean, let me tell you, I love Oban's name. I love Oban's name. The Welsh gangster. Who, who doesn't love that? Kayak Brito is 16 and 4. Wow. Wow. It's rare you see on the contender series someone with 20 professional fights already under their belt. That is very impressive. Oban is 8 and 2. Oban has an inch in height, 6 foot to 5 foot 11. They both have a 72-inch reach, and, wow, they're both around the same age. 26 for Kayak, 25 for Oban. Kayak Brito, I don't believe, is Joe Henderson Brito, a notable featherweight in the UFC's brother or relative, because I could not find anything online, but they do share the last name, so if they are, there's that. They are both from Brazil, that is, so that's why I was wondering. Kayak last fought December 3rd, 2022, Picking up a victory of his 16 professional bouts, 13 by KO, 3 by sub. All his wins have been finishes, which I find very, very impressive. I always like to look at Shavkat. I mean, Shavkat is now, what, 17-0? Shavkat Rachmanov, that is, a top 10 UFC welterweight. And he is he's the definition of he's finished every single fight that he's been in. So whenever I see fighters like that with 100% finish rate for their victories, it's very impressive. Oban is, of his eight victories, two have come by knockout, three by submission. He's currently on a four-fight win streak and is coming out of the Cage Warriors promotion. Cage Warriors has brought notable names such as Tom Aspinall, Patty Pimblett. I mean, pretty much all the London fighters you can think of, they come out of there. And look, Kayak truly, truly should be my pick. But simply because Oban's nickname is the Welsh Gangster, I'm going with him. I kid you not. Kayak, 16 finishes of his 16 wins. I mean, he hasn't fought in like nine months, though. That is very notable. 
But I just love Oban's name. Plus, some really good competition comes out of Cage Warrior. So I'll be going with Oban, Elliot. But this should be a good fight. This should be a very competitive fight. And I love finishes. Oh, man. Oh, man. And Dana's been being generous with the contracts this season. So we'll see what happens there. Moving into our main event of sorts. If you want to, you want to call it the main event, the final fight of the evening is between Eli, the Israeli tank, Aronoff, and Zach Savage Reese. This is going down in the middleweight division. We got two undefeated fighters here, which is just so so entertaining. Eli six and zero. Zach Reese five and zero. Eli was born June sixth, nineteen ninety six, making him using quick math twenty seven. I believe Zach Reese born March nineteen ninety four, making him twenty nine. You know, I really should write down there names in advance instead of trying to do the math on um on the uh on the podcast live but i mean who who cares who cares most notably zach reese five inches in reach 77 to 72 but want to know something even more notable than that zach reese is six foot four eli five ten in the post for this on my instagram i'm gonna put them in my little blip of you know, I always post like three little pictures to capture the episode. I'm going to post a picture of them squaring off. It is such a notable six-inch reach, six-inch height difference that it just amazes me. And that can go one of two ways. Either they don't have a good chin, which is Stefan Struve versus Taito Vasa. I always like to use that as an example. Or in some cases, it works to the advantage where the taller fighter is just a beast, such as Israel Adesanya versus, gosh, who... I was going to say Yoel Romero, but he wasn't really too dominant, so I'm sure there's cases that I'm just not thinking of, but wow, two undefeated fighters, big height difference, um, Zach Reese of his five professional fights, four by knockout, one by submission, he's fighting out of Texas, born in Houston, fighting out of Singer, Springer it is, it was something like that, I think it was Singer, Texas, if I, if I, have, if I have any Texas fans out there, let me know, as for Eli, of course, if the Israeli tank nickname doesn't give it away, he is fighting out of Israel. Only the second fighter I've ever seen to fight out of Israel. I believe there was like a Yazav Amashal or something. He recently fought this year. I can't remember his name quite well. Eli last fought May 27th, 2022. So it has been a long time since Eli fought in, the, uh, in any form of fighting cage. Of his six victories, two by knockout, two by sub, the other two by decision. Whoo, this is going to be a competitive fight, but I'm going with Zach Reese, man. That height is just, I can't get over it. The height, I just can't get over. He's also finished five of his fights. He's had five fights, so that's my pick. Plus, we share a name. I feel entitled to, to root for him. You know, it's not every day you see a Zach in the UFC. I mean, gosh, can I even think of any other fighters named Zach that are in the UFC? Someone help me. Someone help me. I got no one. I got no one. But that's your contender series breakdown. I'm very much looking forward to watching that that tomorrow night. Plus, after a full day of classes, I will be very, very ready to just chill and just watch a little bit of MMA because I love MMA. I'll watch any promotion. It just happens to be that UFC is my favorite. Also, I don't really recap PFL, but Hennon Ferreira knocking out Maurice Green. Whew, what a finish. I knew Maurice Green wasn't that good, but I mean, I thought he was training with John Jones now that he'd, 
he'd have fixed his chin, but Hennepera going to the uh, heavyweight finals of the PFL. The PFL is the uh, Professional Fighters League. It's another another MMA league. It's sort of like, if you want to consider the UFC the A+, PFL would be the B-plus of sorts. Sort of like, uh, never mind, I was going to do a WWE reference, but I'll, I'll refrain. I'll refrain. I do miss my tribal chief, though. Okay, that's enough. But yeah, that's the Contender Series. And man, there have been so many legends from that show. Oh, I could just go on for days. But I mean, the most notable is obviously Sean O'Malley at the moment. If y'all, if y'all remember that, it was when he knocked him out. And you've got Snoop Dogg going, O'Malley! O'Malley! If anyone knows what I'm talking about, you got it. It's, it's a super popular clip. Speaking of clips, I mean, we have been seeing so many clips about fantasy football recently. And man, it's hard to it's hard to decipher what's a good advice, what's bad advice. So man, I watched like 20 TikToks. I took a bunch of advice from all of these all of these so-called experts. But man, let me just tell you, the real experts are the kids that don't have TikTok. Some of my buddies I know. I mean, I have I know one guy, I'm trying to get him on the podcast who won our fantasy football league last year. And didn't even check his team. I'm talking somehow none of his players got injured. If they did, he still managed to keep them in and won. I think he only checked it when he found out he was in the semifinals. So we'll try and get that guy on. I also have friends in uh, North Dakota who is also another fantasy football expert, big NFL fan. We're going to try and get him on. But as for now, let's see what the TikTok experts are. I did forget to write some of the names down when I was... Uh, taking note, so uh, if I don't mention you, you come at me for stealing your information, I do apologize, but let's go through this, so first off, I saw someone saying, if you can't get Travis Kelsey as a tight end, here are some better options to go for, and some of these I feel are very straightforward, others, interesting, so number one, obviously, they said Mark Andrews, which Mark Andrews is personally my favorite tight end. I've had him in fantasy the last three seasons. Never fails me. Eh, well, doesn't often fail me. He's either on or he's off. He, he doesn't even have mid-games. He either catches one pass for seven yards or he catches three touchdowns for 165 yards. If you get my gist, Mark Andrews is definitely going to go off the board fast. Once, once you see someone take Travis Kelsey, maybe in round three or two, you can best expect Mark Andrews to be going soon. Number two this person had was TJ Hawkinson. That's right, the Hawk. Everyone's doing the uh, the Hawk the Hawk movement right now. I don't know if that's an actual thing. You know, flapping your arms like a bird. But TJ Hawkinson, man, belonging to my Minnesota Vikings, the best team in the NFL. I don't apologize at all for this. Saying that, he's a beast, man. I feel he'll have an even better season than last year. We have him for the whole season this year. We got JJ, we got Asin, we got KJ Osborne, maybe? I don't know who we have, but TJ Hawkinson is such a valuable asset. I just hope if Kirk throws to him this time, it's for a first down and not short of a first down on fourth down to uh, not beat the Giants. Still not over. Still not over that loss. Anyways, TJ Hawkinson, obviously. I feel like that's straightforward. Number three, though. A very interesting take is Pat Fryermuth of my roommate roommate's favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know how he's going to do this year. I mean, Kenny Pickett, I do feel that these even rookie or second-year quarterbacks sometimes dump-off passes are the move, as we'll mention with our number four 
um, tight end for this list. But I do feel that if Kenny Pickett, if their offensive line of the Steelers is failing and he needs a dump off, Pat Frymuth is an easy dump off pass to him. And he can also run. He can also make the deep catches. I do like a Pat Frymuth pick. And honestly, when you go through the whole NFL, he is easily a top five or top ten debatable tight end. So good for Pat Frymuth for this guy's list. But let's get into number four who bailed me out for two weeks. I remember this is Cole Komet of the Chicago Bears. I believe he's still on Chicago, but he was last year, and man, oh man, he was balling. He was balling. He had two 22-point games, I believe, just randomly when I picked him off the bench, and those were so Those are not even off the bench, off of waivers. He was so clutch. I was so happy for, for him, but uh, I do believe that Cole Komet is still on the Bears, and he's just another example of Justin Fields, such a running quarterback, big dump-off passer when um, Fields is running right to Komet. And he's going to be a receiving weapon this year. He just got a big contract extension now that I'm recalling. And, I mean, this guy's a six foot six, 260-pound ladies magnet. I know people were... Um, thinking that it was him with Jeffree Star. If everyone remembers that drama where there's a picture of like some NFL player on a private jet with Jeffree Star, and people thought it was Cole Komet. But yeah, Cole Komet is on the Bears. He's a beast on the Bears. And obviously, I'd pick him. I'd pick him as my tight end. I'd pick any four of these guys as my tight ends. But this person's sleeper pick, or this Page's sleeper pick, was Taysom Hill with your last pick of the draft, or your last tight end pick, to join your team. And I'm just... I'm not sold on Taysom Hill, guys. He obviously always has one good game, two good games during the whole season. But he's too unpredictable. He'll play quarterback. He'll play tight end. But he'll just come in on random plays. So I don't think Taysom Hill is a valuable asset, but I do like him as a sleeper pick. So I do agree with this TikTok and their views on what to do if you don't get Travis Kelsey, which is going to be the case for 11 other people (laughs) if you're in a 12-man league. But hey, I'm not taking Taysom Hill, but I'd take Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, Pratt Firemuth, or Cole Komet, personally, that I would, without a doubt. Okay, this is another one. This is the ideal top six picks in your draft, or actually, yeah, the top six picks in your draft for just any any league. If you've got a six-man league, if you got a eight-man, 10-man, 12-man. First, Justin Jefferson. On every single TikTok I saw, it was saying Justin Jefferson first. Well... A majority of them. I agree with that. Justin Jefferson is the number one wide receiver in the league. He's on the Vikings. He is going to be dominant this season. And people are going to hate on him. Say, oh, he's not going to do as good. Don't hate. He he is definitely going to be a beast and should be number one. I mean, he racks up 30-yard games, 40-yard games of points for fantasy. JJ, an easy pick. For number two, it's a split between Jamar Chase or Cooper Cup. Personally, I feel like that's kind of high for both those guys. I'd put them more in the four to five range personally. But if you are going number two with Jamar Cooper Cup, they're saying to lean more towards Jamar Chase, which Joe Burrow is hurt. So I don't know if that's good for to start the season, but it could be after Joe Burrow returns a good addition. As for Cooper Cup, man, I mean, he had his MVP-worthy season the last year injuries really held him down. So Cooper Cup's either, if he's hurt, he's not getting any points. But if he's in, he's getting points. So I would personally lean Cooper Cup. That's just me. Number three, 
They had Austin Eckler. Actually, it would have been number four, Austin Eckler. The number one running back currently in all of the drafts. Man, not a lot of big running backs going on any top five drafts I'm seeing, but I'd take Austin Eckler. I regret not nabbing him last season. He turned out to be a beast. And that leads me into number five, which is Christian McCaffrey. I have some personal beef with Christian McCaffrey, ladies and gentlemen. I've taken Christian McCaffrey essentially every year since he was in the league. And trust me, his first two years, absolutely amazing. But he has just brutalized me with his injuries. It is. He just, oof, he just kills my fantasy team. I end up having to pick up some random off of waivers. And uh, I don't know if I can pick him again this year. But I did have him in when he dropped 44 points in that crazy three-touchdown game he had. So I don't know what's going to happen, but... I would I say, I'll, who am I saying? I'll pick Christian McCaffrey. He was such a beast at Stanford. I can't get over that. And at number six for this person, they have Travis Kelsey, which, I mean, Travis Kelsey is obviously a beast. He should put up the same numbers this year. I mean, he was third in yards after catch last year as a tight end. But, man, six seems really high for Kelsey, but it would be cool to have Travis Kelsey on my team. So who knows what pick I'll get, but if I can draft from the sixth spot, maybe I would take Travis Kelsey. An interesting strategy I saw from uh, our next person, whose name I did remember to write, No BS Fantasy Football, called this the Thanos Draft Strategy. Personally, I don't understand how it's a Thanos Draft Strategy. It has nothing to do with Infinity Stones, but that's just me. Speaking of Marvel, I mean, I just never ended up watching Secret Invasion, you guys. I know I mentioned that on, like, the first few episodes, like, two months ago, but I just, I never got into it. It got terrible reviews. I watched the first two episodes, actually, and they were boring. So I don't think I stayed repetitious with it. But anyways, here's the Thanos draft strategy. Three tips. Number one, don't do an early QB and tight end combo. Do either an early QB and a light tight end, or don't grab either early on. Okay, so how I'm interpreting this is don't waste your first two picks on Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey get one or the other. Or, for example, don't draft Josh Allen. or don't, I, should bear, I should say Jalen Hurts in the first round and then in the second round draft like Mark Andrews. Draft either or. Or don't do either. Just get two decent ones later on. I think that's what he means. I mean, that's actually a very confusing thing to do. I mean, I just feel if if you know fantasy football, which I mean, when I when I did my first ever league, it was an eight man league. I drafted Teddy Bridgewater number uh, two overall in my draft, and I ended up winning the league. But that was when I was like twelve years old, so I can't really state to that nowadays. But if you're not drafting a running back or wide receiver with your first two picks you're probably going to lose. So I don't really know what he's talking about here, but let's move on to his second point, which is grab a good wide receiver in the first three rounds. So exactly what you should be doing. So he wants you to grab either a QB or tight end in round number one and then grab a good wide receiver in round number two or three. Okay, very straightforward. And his third one is monitor what opponents have while drafting. First off, I will say it is impossible to monitor what everyone else has. I mean, even if you do it on a computer and you can easily switch between 
everyone and who they're drafting in sorts. It gets so confusing. I will not lie. It you, you just have to look like oh okay uh, Mark has this okay John has this okay Matthew has this okay Luke has that. That's right. I just used all the gospel names as fantasy football people, but th- th- that is super difficult to do managing each of them. But I don't know about this Thanos draft strategy. It, it's just kind of confusing me. So I'm gonna move past it to. My next one, which is coming from Max Loeb, L-O-E-B, he talked about his top five steals of the draft. So let's go over them. Number one, Geno Smith from the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know about this one. Maybe as a backup quarterback, but I personally had Geno as a quarterback last year, and he was just mid. He'd put up 16-point games, 15-point games, maybe a 20-point game, but... Never got in the 30 range often. But, I mean, I didn't have him as a backup. Number two, he has J.K. Dobbins from the Ravens. My only issue with the Ravens is I honestly do not feel, unless unless Lamar Jackson is out, I would not take a running back because Lamar is going to rack up all the rushing yards for the team. I kid you not. So, J.K. Dobbins could be an asset. He did get hurt last year, but we'll see. Number three for him is Khalil Herbert. I love it. I love it. I've been seeing so much hype about Khalil Herbert. I saw some of his highlights from preseason. I'm on the Khalil Herbert hype train. I can get behind him. My my whole family is Bears fans. My my cousin is a huge Bears fan. Of course, we had him on on our third episode. That is Ryan Bonecki. He's been telling me about how good Khalil Herbert's going to be this year. So I would have Khalil on my team, maybe in the flex, maybe in a backup running back role. And then, depending how their season starts to turn, maybe he could earn a starting position. Number four, Dalton Schultz, now on the Texans. That's right, the former Cowboys tight end. I was thinking about him when we were talking about tight ends a bit ago. About Dalton Schultz, very valuable on the Cowboys. Maybe not last season, but the season before. Obviously, I think this is a very good sleeper pick, especially on the Texans. You have um, C.J. Stroud now, who is going to be in a... Dump off role. I mean, I've been saying that with Justin Fields and with um, Kenny Pickett, and I feel even more so with C.J. Stroud, which I um I do have to clarify. Last podcast, I did not know who went number one and who went number two. C.J. Stroud did uh did go to the Texans, and Bryce Young did go to the Panthers. Also, Will Anderson went to the Texans. Very good player right there. And our number five steal, according to Max Loeb, would be Rashad Bateman, who is apparently going to be wide receiver one for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, with Hollywood Brown out of town, easily Rashad Bateman could take over. I I, I would pick him. I, I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to pick him, but certainly as a steal, I'd pick him. And apparently he's being drafted in the later rounds. And being wide receiver one on the Ravens, Lamar, Lamar can sling the ball. It's just... Lamar's either throwing or running. He's rarely doing both nowadays, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Moving on to the dorm debate podcast about fantasy football. They they said to either go with the hero RB or the zero RB strategy, which is in picks one to five, which would be a hero RB, take a top wide receiver than a running back. Oh, for picks. Okay, so this is for picks, not rounds. So for pick one through five, Take a top running back, then a wide receiver, I think in round one, then two. Or you do the zero RB strategy, which is pick six to 12, where you take two wide receivers in the first rounds, then a running back. 
For instance, Austin Eckler, if you're drafting from the number two spot at number two, in round number two, take T. Higgins, and in round number three, take Chris Olave. Oh, take T. Higgins or Chris Olave. Okay, I see. Then, unless you're picking from the number seven spot, in round one, grab Tyree Kill. In round two, grab Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. Okay, those are the examples they used. Hmm. I could get behind that. I could get behind that. And I have to decide, too, who I'm going to pick before I start. But then right when the draft starts, people can throw oddballs at you. People can throw oddballs. I remember last year, I was drafting from the number five spot, and Jonathan Taylor was still on the board. I mean, I remember I was like, okay, how, how is Jonathan Taylor still on the board? I might as well take him. And he sucked. He sucked so hard. I, I'm never picking Jonathan Taylor again in my life. I'm serious. I will go out of my way to avoid Jonathan Taylor. I will easily take J.K. Dobbins over Jonathan Taylor. He was such a disappointment. Moving on to Ron Stewart, who also went over the double hero RB draft strategy, saying you take two running backs in the first three rounds. I feel like I do that often, personally. Then you don't take another one till the seventh. What? Wow. Okay. You fill up your wide receivers and the flex spot, and then you take another one or two wide receivers by round 10. Okay, so... I think this is Ron's vision here, personally. Round number one, you're taking, um, let's say, Nick Chubb. Let's say you take Nick Chubb. Then in round two, you take Joe Mixon. These are just examples. I'm Okay, I obviously know they'll probably both go in round one. Then you don't take another running back until round seven, where you get freaking um, Khalil Herbert, for example. But amidst rounds three to six, you're going to take three wide receivers, maybe even a tight end. And then you don't take another wide receiver until round 10. Wow, very interesting. And I didn't even realize there were strategies to all this. And they're naming them now. The Thanos strategy, the hero RB, the double hero RB. Wow, this is all such good information. And now to talk about um, another one. I don't know who... Uh, who uploaded this, sadly. Sorry for not giving you credit. But this actually contradicts what Max Loeb's top five steals were, so I figured I'd add it. So, according to this TikTok, it said, you want to target Khalil Herbert. Okay, we've been going over Khalil. Very good. Very mobile. Kind of kind of on the smaller side, though. So, I mean, it's certainly notable. I mean, he is a shorter guy. But they want you to avoid J.K. Dobbins. The reason being... Lamar's going to be getting a lot more of the uh, touches, and J.K. Dobbins is coming off an injury. So I just thought it was interesting. Someone saying J.K.'s a steal. Someone saying you should avoid him. Someone they're saying you should target is the Lions' new running back, David Montgomery. And you know what? I like this. The Lions are very running back heavy at the uh, goal line. If anyone remember Jamal Jamal, uh, Williams last year and DeAndre Swift, the conflict that went on there. They want you to avoid former um, Eagles running back Miles Sanders. Hmm, very interesting. Wait a minute. Who did the Eagles add? I thought the Eagles... Oh, the Eagles add DeAndre Swift. Okay, I was getting confused about everyone. But yeah, so target David Montgomery according to this one. Avoid Miles Sanders, being that the Panthers are going to be in conflict about what to do with a rookie QB. 
You know, I got Adam Thielen. You got Miles Sanders. I mean, the Panthers, I feel, are going to be a cluster. You know what? As for the Lions, I do think they'll be scary. I do think the Lions will be scary, but nothing my Minnesota Vikings can't handle. Minnesota Vikings are easily winning the division. The Lions may offer us a bit of challenge, but Packers and Bears are going to be easy, easy 2-0 sweeps for the season. And the last person they said to target was Joe Mixon. With, uh, that's an easy one, Joe Mixon. Especially if Joe Burrow's out, Joe Mixon will be a huge asset. And man, I want him, I want Joe Mixon on my team when he drops 55 points. Whew, I wished. I wasn't playing the guy who had him in my league, but man, whew, man oh man. All right, then I got I got three more for you guys. I got three more. So this is drafting from the sixth position. I did not get the creator, so I do apologize. But here's what drafting from the sixth position is like. They said if you're drafting from the sixth, take Tyreek Hill with your first round pick. With your second pick, take Nick Chubb since Kareem How since Kareem Hunt is now out of um. The Browns. I don't know if Chubb's going in a round two, but I mean, if he falls all the way to, if he falls a full twelve spots to you, I'd take him. Number three, they're saying you should take Olave as your top two wide receiver. So this would be like the um, what strategy were we talking about? This is the double. No, that was a double hero RB. This would be a double hero wide receiver. Then they're saying at number in round number four, take Calvin Ridley for your flex. That is risky. I don't know how he's going to do on the Jaguars. At number five, they're saying you take George Kittle for your tight end. I suppose. I suppose you could go with Kittle in round five. In round number six, take DeAndre Swift. I do. I do feel DeAndre Swift will be an asset in Philadelphia, but we'll see. We'll see what happens over there. In round number seven, they're saying David Montgomery. Okay. In round number eight, Tua Tugavailoa. Okay, so this would be a pretty good team. Tua Tugavailoa. Then you got Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift. You got Tyreek Hill, Chris Olave. And then you got Calvin Ridley. Personally, I'd put Tyreek Hill in the flex just because it looks better. Then you got Kittle at tight end. Okay. And number nine, he's saying Antonio Gibson. That's risky, man. I don't know about Antonio. But isn't he on a new team this year? Is, is Antonio Gibson on the Cowboys? I don't know why I think he's on the Cowboys. Let me let me Google this real quick. He's still on the Commanders. He's still on the Commanders. I mean, he's still splitting runs with Robinson, so I don't know about that. But okay, number ten, Rashad Penny. I mean, I guess number eleven. Oh, this is just this, his bench is Zay Jones. Michael Gallup, Isaiah Hodgins, and Jerome Ford. So I don't think this guy does kickers or defenses, which you should. I like doing kickers and defenses. This is a very interesting. This is obviously a hypothetical. Every person's draft will go different. This is why I'm saying take everyone's advice with a grain of salt because right when that draft clock starts and the first few picks go off the board, all your game plans go out the window. So here's what someone was saying should be your hypothetical top your 12 picks for your draft. This, this is what someone was saying should be your hypothetical top 12 picks. Number one, Justin Jefferson. Okay. I agree. Number two, Christian McCaffrey. Kind of high. Christian McCaffrey is hit or miss on how he'll perform, but okay. Number three, Jamar Chase. Yet, yet again, I will say, very good wide receiver. Definitely top five in the league. Does I don't know how he'll do if Joe Burrow isn't in, though. I don't know how, I don't know how he'll perform. 
Number four, Austin Eckler. It seems to be he's going to be RB1 or RB2 going in drafts, either him or McCaffrey. Number five, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup, I could easily see him going at five. Number six, Tyree Kill. So I think the consensus is if you have the six pick, you take Tyree Kill. But I will add that, I mean, there's a lot more weapons with Jalen Waddle in Miami. There's other wide receivers, running backs, Tua, Tua could throw to. So always risky, but I do like Tyree Kill at six. Number seven, Travis Kelsey. It just feels so high. I know it's not high but it just feels way too high taking Travis Kelsey at the number seven pick. But hey, that could, be, that could be just me, okay? Number eight, they have Saquon Barkley. I don't know about that. I know Saquon's good and all, but he certainly didn't have a dominant season last year. He was a very middle-of-the-pack running back, okay? Number nine, they're saying you take Bijan Robinson. Ooh, I don't know. I, I know you. I know a rookie will do good this year. But certainly hard to pick him at nine. He's on the Falcons, not the greatest team. Very interesting. At number 11, either Stefan Diggs or CeeDee Lamb. Wow, I haven't heard either of their names yet in any of our drafts. Stefan Diggs and CeeDee Lamb, both very good wide receivers. But honestly, their performance really goes off of how their quarterbacks are doing. If Josh Allen's bad, Stefan Diggs bad. If Dak Prescott's bad, CeeDee Lamb is bad. Plus, there's a lot of options on both those teams. But they are both productive. And with your final pick in the first round, if you're in number 12, take Patrick Mahomes. I support it. I support it. I really like it. And then if you're taking, if you're picking 12, you could honestly land Mahomes than either Diggs or Lamb. So drafting 12, it may seem sad. You're not going to get a superstar. But you get back-to-back picks. So you will get you will get two very good players. So. There's that, and then I was seeing people saying what you should do if you draft Travis Kelsey, number one overall. I kid you not. I kid you not. This was the last point I touched on because I had to tell people about it. This guy was saying you should draft Travis Kelsey with your number one pick because of how valuable he is points-wise compared to other tight ends. So if you take Travis Kelsey round one, this is only for three rounds, though. So he said with your number two pick, you would land Nick Chubb, which would be a miracle. If Nick Chubb fell to you 12 spots later, actually it'd be more like 24 spots later. And then number three, you would take a Monroe St. Brown. So I would not take Travis Kelsey with the number one overall pick, but if you want to shock everyone, I say do it, man. I mean, it's fancy football. At the end of the day, some people are going to ride or die for it. Other people are going to think nothing of it and just be like, oh, it's just fancy football. But hey, I love fancy football and... I will, without a doubt, be trying hard at it. I mean, whenever you're doing bad, you can always go, oh, uh, I don't check that anymore. Oh, I don't really pay attention to my team anymore. Well, that's a lie. Everyone pays attention to their teams. Uh, Well, you know, sometimes you join a random league and don't check it, but for any of my hardcore fans, we know. We know we check our teams. So Those are all the fancy football TikToks I looked at. We're going to be talking more about fancy football as the season progresses. But man, drafts are going to be upcoming. We'll have to see how my team turns out. I don't know. I'll have to let you guys all know. But let's move on to our next topic. Should we go over the surprise topic? Or should we go over UFC 292 review? Ooh, now I have to make a decision. Because personally, I really want to talk about UFC 292. But I also want to dive into our surprise topic. So I'm actually... Going to go over the surprise topic right now, which is processed foods. 
and then I'll give my uh, recap of UFC 292. So, everyone, hold on. Quick little break. Actually, who, are you, who am I kidding? I'm the one that's going to go take a little break, and then I'll be back. Okay. And we have returned. Obviously, we are back. Okay. Surprise topic of the week. I was looking forward to this one. I've been meaning to do it for a couple episodes now, but, I mean, I've just been running out of time. I've only had time to go over UFC events, so. Happy to talk, happy to, talk to you guys about something else, something that is very important for the masses. This is a big issue nowadays. It was, it's was it been around for a while now, but it's truly become prevalent in the past couple of decades, maybe in the past 100 years, and that is processed foods. When people hear that, processed foods, well, isn't everything processed? Well, a lot of stuff is processed, and we're going to be getting into that. So my source for today is the U.S. News Health. magazine. I guess I'm using their website, but that is my source for today, and that's what I will be using to educate you guys on processed foods. So, what is processed foods? What is this phenomenon that has increased the risk of obesity, heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes? I mean, processed foods are linked to so many different chronic diseases that are just killers. I mean, unfortunately, there's not a formal definition. There's not really a formal definition there. It's, you can only really describe it as more of a spectrum of sorts, a spectrum with three different types of processed foods. So if you, if you actually want to form a direct um, definition, it would be a processed food is any raw agricultural commodity that has been subject to procedures that alter the food from its natural state and this is according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This includes anything that has been crushed, cut, chopped, diced, heated, frozen, cooked, or steamed. Okay, so every freaking thing ever, according to the uh, um, the agriculture. Okay, but so we have minimally processed foods, such as bagged lettuce and spinach, pre-cut vegetables, roasted nuts, dried fruits, canned fruits that are unsweetened, canned vegetables and beans that are unsalted, and canned fish. Those are minimally processed. Then we have straight-up processed. Yogurt is processed. Cheese, whole wheat breads, pasta, breakfast cereals, even nutritional shakes are considered processed. And then we get into what I will call the killers. Not to be drastic, but, I mean, these are the killers. We have ultra-processed foods. I mean, the ultra-processed should be intimidating enough. Chips, sugary breakfast cereals, soda, sadly, candy, sadly, cookies, sadly, deli meats. You know, some of your um, salami, that's very processed. Sausages are processed. I mean, uh, hot dogs, I mean, brats, they're all processed. Instant noodles and soups. And every single fried food is processed, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't want them to be, but they are. So, I mean, I just go through my daily diet right now as I'm thinking in my head, and I realize I've already had processed food today. I had some, I had a frozen pizza last night, processed. I reheat that, processed. I was actually having a Mountain Dew. I'm actually like halfway through drinking one. That's processed. Gosh, I have pr- protein shakes, protein, everything. Wow, all processed. So, processed foods include any food that has been cooked, canned, frozen, preserved, packaged, or fortified with beneficial nu- nutrients. I mean, if you read the side of anything, any processed food, you're going to be seeing a bunch of words. 
a bunch of things you don't understand. And there's just nothing to do about that. There's nothing to do about that except to avoid eating it. But I mean, if you actually want to research what every single one does, they all play some role in the stuff you're consuming. So while processed foods do include frozen mac and cheese or a pizza, a bag of barbecue chips or a cheeseburger from a fast food joint, I mean, they're also including whole wheat bread, canned beans, pasteurized milk, jar of tomato sauce, which a lot of these things people consider healthy. They're also the same processed as unhealthy stuff, such as chips and candy. According to Keith Ayub, who is a registered dietitian and actually an associate professor at, uh, of pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City, New York, everything is processed unless you go into a cornfield or an apple tree and bite into that food. <laughs> food. Food right off the stock. Processing isn't all bad. You can have a processed food. That's a whole food. So clearly some processed foods are healthier than others, as we've discussed. But according to Keith, I mean, you truly have to go directly to the source to have something that's not processed. And we're even talking about meat. When it comes to meat, you would, you would honestly have to kill that cow and get it directly from it to ensure it's not processed. But sadly, any food you buy at the grocery store, unless it's, I mean, unless you want to go with grass-fed I mean, anything less than that, even including that, that's all processed. It's all pro So much stuff is processed. Um, Abby Greenspun, who is a registered dietitian from uh, Westport, Connecticut, said a bag of roasted peanuts is considered processed, but it's fine. It's considered healthy. But in contrast, honey-coated chocolate-dipped peanuts obviously are more processed and are clearly worse for you. So if you look at everything in contrast, some of it will be healthier than other stuff. So let's dive more into the types of processed foods. So when it comes to minimally processed, these foods are processed at their peak freshness to lock in the nutritional quality. So when tomatoes are cooked, cooked as in quotation mark processed, then they are then canned. They end up with more lycophene, which is an antioxidant that's available to the body. Wait, okay, so they end up with lycophene, which is an antioxidant. It's available to the body. Then fresh. I don't know what Ayub is saying. This is coming from Keith. I don't know what Keith is saying here. But I think he's basically saying that tomatoes can be cooked. Can I don't know. Keith might be full of it. Now that, now that I'm reading about it. I don't know. Keith, Keith is trying to confuse me. That's one thing I've learned is that smart people will try and confuse you with big words to make them sound smart. Just to let you know. So some some minimally processed foods, they make good quality, nutritious foods, convenient for busy people to use. I mean, I, I suppose so, but still not too good. I mean, we're moving now into process. So process is the middle of the spectrum. They are fortified with important nutrients such as calcium, vitamin D, folic acid, or iron that are they're they are, they are used to prevent chronic diseases, but some other examples of them are dairy and plant-based milk products, cheese and yogurt, for example, whole wheat bread, which includes pasta, many breakfast cereals. And I mean, there's many breakfast cereals that are considered processed, and then there's even more that are considered ultra-processed. And even nutritional shakes are considered normally processed. The fortification of refined grains with folic acid caused the prevalence of neural tube defects, such as spina bifida, Spina bifida is a spinal thing where you know you kind of get arched, 
And this, they, um, according to this, they actually use this to plummet spina bifida, Keith is saying. That's one of the best public health programs that was ever rolled out. Yes, Keith, but it may be curing spina bifida, but still causing people obesity. I, l- I always like to look at these articles and then try and see like the experts try and tell you what, what's true and what's not. It's all what you know to be true. And then we get to the end of the spectrum. Oof, the ultra-processed foods, or better known as highly processed foods. You got your chips, your Doritos. You got your sugary breakfast cereals, your Lucky Charms. You got your sodas, sadly Mountain Dew. Candy, you got Starburst, cookies, Chips Ahoy, meat products, products such as deli meats and sausage, brats and um, salami, instant noodles, ramen, and soups, even chicken noodle soup, sadly. And every single fried food, so much fried food. Many food manufacturers formulate these foods in ways that appeal to the human's palate, the bliss point per se, which is the optimal combination of sugar, fat, and salt, that make people want to keep eating them. When this mix is right, food becomes more stimulating. Thus, how you can finish a whole bag of chips, whole bag of crackers, and then be like, holy crap, how did I eat this whole bag? Well, it's because it was chemically and, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the word, psychologically, Something in your brain. It's designed to make you want. Sorry, I dropped something. It's designed to make you want to buy more and eat more of it, sadly. Dr. David Kessler, the former commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, noted in his book, The End of Overeating, Taking Control of the Insatiable American Appetite, eating foods high in sugar, fat, and salt makes us eat more foods high in sugar, fat, and salt. In fact, researchers stated in the journal NPJ Science of Food that when the processed food industry added a crunchy mouthfeel to their bliss point formulations, a whole new generation of craveable foods was created. Goldfish crackers, Doritos, Lay's. Some about the crunch, some about the salt makes you want to keep eating more. In other words, these hyper-palatable processed foods can hijack your appetite causing you to lose control of how much you eat. So actually, you know what? I do trust this article because it is directly saying that this is what is causing people to get obese, causing them to get heart disease from being fat and eating all these unhealthy things. Very very interesting. Very interesting. You know, I I think you could fix this because there is this guy on, um, on TikTok. I don't know his name exactly, but he's... Always talking about how you got to avoid your seed oils and stuff, which is a key ingredient in processed foods. And you got to do that by eating grass-fed, eating your fruits, I mean, growing stuff in your backyard. It's tough to do, you know? Food's expensive. I mean, I went to the grocery store today. I dropped $62, and all I bought was fruit and meat. And water. I bought some water, but I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, I was buying my grass-fed beef, some steak. My bananas, my strawberries, some orange juice, which even my orange juice, 25 grams of total sugars. Oh, crazy. So let's dive into why are, why are processed foods officially bad, okay? Because I feel like we, we obviously know, but let's know more. <laughs> How about that? So consuming lots of ultra-processed foods can increase your risk of developing chronic health conditions, as we mentioned. Especially the ultra-processed foods. They, they all contain extra oils, sugar, salt, calories, and preservatives. So the extra oils, I mean, you're talking about canola oil, which is a seed oil. 
You got you got your butter butter oil, butternut oil. They they got like cane sugar oil. There's so many oils, so many oils. Um, and it's a lot of the added ingredients that they don't provide any nutritional value. I mean, obviously you need sugar and salt to function, but if you're having like a full bag of M and M's, then a full bag of chips in a day, then you're drinking five sodas. Oh, that's a lot of added sugar. Keith tells us you want to minimize empty calories in your diet from sweets and baked foods and beverages with lots of sugar, but not much else. So you want to minimize the sugar, but you, but you can't minimize all of it or else you'll starve yourself. The consumption of ultra-processed foods is particularly harmful for human health as it has been shown to increase your risk for heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. Hypertension. I mean, I thought the hypertension was the, um, oh my gosh, I'm thinking of hyperextension, where uh, that one exercise you do at the gym with like your body. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, research has linked a higher consumption of ultra-processed foods with a greater risk of developing cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, and the big one, obesity, which is America's biggest enemy. It's not the Chinese. It's, it's not politics. It's obesity. In a study in a 2019 issue of Cell Metabolism, researchers found that when adults who are slightly overweight followed a diet with ultra-processed foods for two weeks, they consumed approximately 500 more calories each day and gained weight compared to when they stuck with an unprocessed diet for two weeks. The effects kick in that quickly. The researchers conclude that limiting ultra-processed foods may offer an effective strategy for preventing and treating obesity. And even for people who are not overweight, if you want like, oh, I want to bulk up. Well, I don't know if eating chips and candy is going to be the best bet for you. The potential, harm, the potential for harm doesn't stop with weight gain. A study in a 2023 issue of JAMA, J-A-M-A, Neurology, found that adults with a higher daily consumption of ultra-processed foods have a faster, a faster rate, that is, of cognitive decline over time. That is crazy. I mean, that's when your brain literally starts to lose its function. I'm talking dementia. I'm talking forgetting how to speak, forgetting how to, I mean, even even like sight, do dare I say. In a study, another study, in a 2022 issue of BMJ, found that men with a high consumption of ultra-processed foods have a higher risk of developing colorectal cancer, the third most common cancer among men and women in the U.S. Oof. I don't, I don't want colorectal cancer. I don't need a doctor sticking his finger up my bum. My goodness. My goodness. So much badness. So much sadness. What do we do, guys? What do we do? I mean, we're clearly doomed with all these processed foods, aren't we? We're doomed. We're doomed. Not quite yet. How to avoid processed foods. So one way to curb your intake of processed foods that is the way to save ourselves is to, is to cook at home. I mean, use, use whole foods, whole vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, fish, and other nutrient-rich ingredients. I mean, as much as it can suck to spend $100 in one sitting, it's better than going out to eat every single day each week. So here are some other strategies for avoiding the evil processed foods. Hydrate with water. I know I'm a big water drinker. I got that from my mom, my girlfriend. They both drink a lot of water. Rubs off on me. These sugary bottled beverages... Such as your sodas, your sweetened teas, even the fruit juice. They're notorious for being loaded with empty calories, which provide no nutritional value. 
Instead, just quench your thirst with water. I mean, we are originally designed from God to just drink water. I mean, there was a time when I'm sure no one even knew to squeeze fruit into water to make um, fruit juice. So water, it's it's in our DNA to drink water. And if you miss the carbonation from sodas, sparkling water. Sparkling water is a great alternative. Instead of for a caffeine fix, I know I'm, I'm a big gym guy, and not having caffeine before a workout can sometimes make it feel not as good. Brew your own tea and or coffee at home, but skip the sugar and creamer. That's for coffee. That's for um, pre-workout, I suppose. I might have to do some more research onto that. Another tip, make smart food swaps. You can easily replace highly processed foods with healthy substitutes. I've been, I've been trying to do this lately. So if you're craving the crunchiness of chips, how about a slice of bell pepper? Or make your own kale chips by lightly seasoning kale leaves with salt and popping them in an air fryer or the oven. That sounds gross personally, but okay. If you feel tempted to eat ice cream, satisfy your sweet tooth by freezing ripe bananas and blending them to make your homemade healthy soft serve. Ooh, that actually sounds delicious. Not only will these swaps satisfy your cravings, but you'll sneak more fruits and vegetables into your diet, which is very important, especially the fruits. Another alternative to fix these processed foods that are killing us slowly is meal prepping. So if you're too busy to cook, you can... Avoid giving in to the convenience of eating fast food meals by planning ahead of time and preparing your meals at home for the week. Gosh, I really should do this. I, I do tend to eat out a decent amount. Um, to help take the guesswork out of it, there are plenty of meal delivery services that can ship all the pre-proportioned ingredients for you to make homemade meals right to your doorstep. I don't know about that personally, but I mean, could be a better alternative than eating McDonald's every day. Uh, one, one last tip is to stay away from the deli counter. Oh, this hurts love roast beef. I love roast beef and salami. The deli meat section is full of cold cuts, sausages, and other processed meats. Instead, fill your shopping cart with protein from the grocery store's meat and seafood department, where you'll find smart alternatives such as chicken, beef, salmon, and shrimp. Mm. For plant-based proteins, try tempeh, tofu, and chickpeas. How about no? I can get behind the chicken, beef, and salmon, though. Mm. Delicious. Delicious, all right? So can you still eat processed foods? The reality is that processed foods are hard to avoid. That isn't the truth. There's like nothing to snack on at times for most people. In fact, these types of foods are becoming more ubiquitous. I do not know what that word means, but it definitely means more common. A study in a 2022 issue of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that intake of processed foods, especially ultra-processed foods, continuously increased among adults in the U.S. from 2001 to 2018, over 17 years. What's more, research in BMJ Open found that ultra-processed foods comprise 58% of the calories consumed in the U.S. 58%. That's not just 50%. That's over 50% of our calories are coming. Whew. Whoa, that is, that is bad. If and when you offer packaged foods, get into the habit of reading labels. I, I know I read labels all the time, both the nutritional facts label and the ingredients label. The ingredients label, I think, is almost more important than the nutritional facts label. Some, um, some ways to choose healthy processed foods, because, I mean, in your life, you're going to eat processed foods. It's just that. It's just how it goes. So be aware of added and hidden sugar. On the ingredients list, added sugars can go by different names, including Brown sugar, corn syrup, ugh, cane sugar, ugh, honey, mm, fruit juice, concentrate, or any word that ends with O-S-E. Any word that ends with O-S-E. 
These appear among the first or three ingredients. Well, the first two to three ingredients, my bad. Listed, it means the product contains considerable amounts of sugar. Keep in mind, though, that some processed foods contain artificial sweeteners instead of sugar. The, they, they are just as bad. Um, mo- most, most are cancer causers. They cause, they cause weight gain, they stimulate your appetite more, and they also cause the body to produce fat differently, such as giving you a, a gluten belly, which is when you, you get big titties and your, your belly hangs over. Not, not big muscular pecs and not a ripped stomach. No, you get chunky. In July of 2023, the World Health Organization released a statement announcing that aspartame, aspartame is an artificial sweetener, is possibly carcinogenic to humans' cancer. This artificial sweetener is widely used in processed foods, including some diet drinks. I know Diet Coke, Diet Mountain Dew, breakfast cereals. I know um, Lucky Charms, the big killer, the big killer, ice cream. Aw, I love ice cream and other packaged food products. Aspartame, look out for that. This is funny. I actually saw something about that, like on the internet, like aspartame is bad. It's in like all these foods. And then when I was watching a YouTube video, I saw an ad from like the National Health Foundation, like an ad for why aspartame is good. Very suspicious. Very suspicious. Another tip, watch out for sodium. Um, it's, it's wise to pursue the labels to find added salt. But processed foods are major contributors of sodium in our diets because salt is commonly added to preserve foods and extend the shelf life, which means they can keep it on the shelf longer for you to buy. Most canned vegetables, soups, and sauces contain added salt. So just choose food labels with no salt added. Low sodium, reduce sodium, and this will decrease the amount of salt you're consuming from processed foods. And here's a big one. Here's a big one. Avoid trans fats. Avoid trans fats. I cannot say that enough. Also known as trans unsaturated fatty acids. These are a type of dietary fat that is found in processed foods all too often. Now, although the small trace amounts, they naturally occur in food. I mean, most health experts are concerned that they're used when they're used in large amounts. Highly processed packaged foods, including your cookies, donuts, and crackers, which we already know are bad for us, and your deep fried foods. I mean, so much stuff is deep fried. I mean, chicken nuggets. I mean, you go to the state fair. I mean, you're going to find a lot of deep fried food. These are top products with trans fat. And if you consume too much, this is associated with poor heart health. Health. This, this can raise your LDL, which is your bad cholesterol, and lower your HDL, which is your good cholesterol, which is how you get bad cholesterol. It may be hard to spot trans fats because they don't appear on labels with those words. To find them, you should look for ingredients listed as partially hydrogenated fat. I just want to tell you guys something. Let me tell you something. The food industry does not want you to be healthy. Look at this. They they hide these words. They hide trans fats. They hide the sodium. They hide the salt. They hide the sugar. They hide the oils. They don't like the average people. They're all driven by profit. And they're not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you that. I'll tell you straight up. They're all driven by profit. They are sadly evil. And you have to wake up and realize for yourself. The bottom line, though. Let me tell you the bottom line. This is, first off, U.S. News, the, the U.S. News Health, shout out to this website. Very reliable. I really like it. I appreciate this article. The bottom line. Ultimately, the goal isn't to demonize or completely banish processed foods. Keith, I mean, Keith has been talking to us this whole article. Keith Ayub says, but to, but to make more conscious decisions about consuming them. Really, Keith, you don't say. 
Stick with minimally processed foods as much as you can, but remember, there's nothing wrong with having chips or cookies occasionally if that's what you really want. This is true. This is very true. Keith ends this by saying it's about how you incorporate it as part of a healthy, balanced diet. And you know what? I agree. I agree. Don't have chips and cookies every single day. You can have them once a week, twice a week. You know, you can ball out. I mean, I don't drink I don't drink Mountain Dew every single day, but I'll, I'll have one, one a day at times, maybe once a week or something. Who knows? But this is a very good article. I'm certainly more educated on processed foods and the dangers that they can possess. I hope you are all educated now on processed foods. And Man, you know, I was going to try and do a challenge for August where I don't have processed foods, and it's so tough. It is so tough. You, you can truly only eat certain beefs and chicken and fruit. That's, that's essentially it. I mean, it is very tough. It's tough to be healthy, but, hey, it pays off. It pays off being healthy. You can live longer. You can be healthier at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. So that's our surprise topic of the week. And man, this episode's a long one. We're already at an hour and 12 minutes. And we still got to review UFC 292. But I just thought I had to get this had to get this out to the public. Had to let you guys know about this. So I hope you all enjoyed. And I hope you were surprised. Because that's what this podcast is all about. Surprising you guys. So that's that. And whew, now we dive into my favorite subject every week. And that is... Our UFC talk. I mean, I'm jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. UFC 292 went down this past Saturday. I went 5-0 and on my main card pick, so I could have made a bag if I had bet. I'm now 93-56 and on my main card picks for the year. I'm also 464 and 333 all time. So we're up over 121 picks all time for the main card since I started picking, which was in 2020. Very happy about that, and I mean, this was a banger card up and down. The prelims were good, the main card was good, and I'm like, we have a new champion. We have a new champion in Sugar Sean O'Malley. So, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be back to go over all the fights from the card. Wow, so many breaks this episode. I feel like I'm, uh, I feel like I'm on a big-time podcast, and I have to take pee breaks or something, but now we're ready to dive in. I'm kind of noticing that I sound so much more quiet in the background now that I'm in like a set room instead of my basement in my parents' house. So this is certainly unique. I might need to get like sound absorbers or something, but let me all know how this sounds once it's out. But yes, let's dive into this card because, man, it was loaded top to bottom. Let's just let's kick it off. We start off the prelims with a woman's flyweight bout. Kareen Silva, Kareen Killa Silva, killer Picked up her fourth win, third in the UFC. I mean, I always see the contender series on UFC stats and just consider it part of the UFC, so that's just how I do it. But officially her third UFC victory, 17-4 overall now with her third round one submission. I mean, it's crazy. That is just absolutely crazy. She got her third round one submission. Personally, I would rank her over Jasmine Jesu Davis or Tracy Cortez. I mean, Kareem Silva, an absolute killer. She dropped Marina Moreau's in round number one, landed a takedown on her. I mean, the strikes, I mean, 52 total strikes to 25. She was on fire, and with one second left in the round, Marina Moreau's taps to a nasty guillotine. Oh, man, Kareen Silva was just cranking the neck. Oh, it was painful. Hurt my neck watching. 
But I'm excited to see what's next for her. Honestly, I would throw her into the rankings. I don't know against who, personally. I mean, maybe Amanda Hebus. Just throw out a name. But, I mean, cool. Karina Silva. Such an impressive performance. Locking up a guillotine choke. And, personally, there were only four finishes tonight. I would have given each one a performance bonus. But that's just me, guys. That's just me. I know I don't hold any stake in what the UFC does. But that's just what I view it as. Moving on to our second Silva fighting. And man, I knew these Silva girls could get it done. They're not related, but they're going to be fighting sooner or later. Natalie Silva. Natalie. Um, oh my gosh, Natalie doesn't have a nickname. She should. Natalie Natural Silva. I don't know, guys. She beats number 13 ranked women's flyweight on Drea KJB. Lee just outstrikes her. Through all three rounds, she gets a 30-27 across the board. And when it all came down to it, 70 significant strikes, the 43, same for the total strikes. I mean, there was a nasty punch landed in round one that just, I don't know if it broke Andre Lee's nose, it busted it open, but it was pain. Excuse me. It was painful from Natalie Silva. Just, just, ugh. I mean, it hurts my nose to watch it. She'd have broken my nose for sure. And she will be ranked. She'll be ranked number 13th come Tuesday when the rankings drop. And all I want to see is her fight up. I'm talking Lauren Murphy. I'm talking get her in the top 10. She is clearly top 10 worthy. She has clearly fought her way up up the ranks of sorts. And yeah, she's now on a uh, four-fight win streak in the UFC. 16-5 and five overall. I'm happy for her. As for Andrea Lee, she's now lost three straight decisions. Probably on her way out of the uh, UFC rankings. Maybe even the UFC. But there's that. Okay. Moving on to our first male fight of the evening. A middleweight clash between Andre Petrovsky versus Gerald Mearshart. The biggest fight of Andre Petrovsky's career. A true test. He gets the split decision nods. 29-28, 29-28, Man, okay. So Gerald actually landed more significant strikes. 76-57. Also more total strikes. 92-67. In round number two, Andre Petrovsky did land a knockdown. He landed two takedowns to Gerald's one. Two minutes of control time for Andre. Uh, two minutes, oh, six to be exact. One minute, 54 for Gerald. I would say Andre won round one and round two, but Gerald won round three. So, good for Andre. He'll need to work on finishing strong, but he did start strong. And, man, I don't know how Gerald survived the knockdown. I mean, very impressive stuff. Andre moving on. I'm a fan of Andre Petrosky as he moves to 10-2 and two in his career, 5-0 and oh in the UFC. So, man, the sky's the limit for him. I don't know if I want to throw him into the rankings next, but let's get him another, let's get him another fighter because, I mean, you're on a five-fight win streak, which is people are going to start to take notice. As for Gerald, he's now lost his last two. He's now 1-3 in his last four. Since 2022, so I, I don't know what's next for Gerald, but Gerald has actually had 52 professional <laughs> MMA fights, so he has a lot of experience. I hope he, I'm sure they'll keep him around, but then I belongs to Andre Petrovsky. Andre fought, um, I've mentioned it so many times, on the 29th season of The Ultimate Fighter, I believe it was, and I've just been a fan of him. Ever since then, if I could give someone who he should fight next, I'm thinking, do you know Andre Munez, who just lost to Paul Craig? I believe he lost his spot in the rankings as well. I feel he would be a very good person. Oh, he's actually ranked 15th, so I could I could see him. You know what? Andre Petrovsky versus Andre Munez. 
for, for in, to get into the UFC rankings. A very, a very talented fighter. Keep your keep your name on Andre Petrovsky. I really like that guy. Okay, moving on to our ultimate fighter finales. I I called it wrong, guys. Last time out, I said that Rico DeCilia would win. Cody Gibson beat him. But I said Brad Katona would beat whoever he fought. He did. Brad Katona wins by unanimous decision. And this was a war. This was a war between these two. Fight of the night war. Cody lands more significant strikes, 164 to 160. Brad lands more total strikes, 173 to 169. But talk about a 61% significant strike percentage for Cody Gibson. Very impressive stuff from him. He outstruck Brad in round one by uh, 10 strikes, in significant strikes. He outstruck him by 13. Round number two gets a seven, seven significant strike um, advantage. But round number three, Brad turned it on, had 20 more total strikes than him, had 15 more significant strikes. And Brad Katona, ladies and gentlemen, will be moving on into the UFC. He gets the contract, and he is the first ever two-time Ultimate Fighter winner. I was so happy for Brad. He snapped his little UFC losing streak of two fights, and he's back, ladies and gentlemen. Brad Katona's back in the UFC. I know Conor McGregor was happy. I saw him tweeting all about that. But as for Cody Gibson, Dana said, don't count him out. We'll get him in the UFC. You know, he, he, he may not be... On, on the win streak of sorts outside the UFC. But you know what? Cody Gibson, he proved he can hang. So if I, if I could give someone who um, Brad Katona could fight at bantamweight, oh, man, I don't even know. Is it is it too soon to send him towards the rankings? I'm trying to think of some unranked fighter who he could fight. Um, I know Chris Gutierrez is fighting Montel Jackson, maybe the loser of that against um, Brad Katona. Yeah, very happy for Brad. And sky's the limit for him. Sky is the limit. And let's get into our next um, Ultimate Fighter fight of the evening. As, man, Kurt Hollibaugh beats Austin Hubbard. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Kurt Hollibaugh actually won. Gets his first official UFC win. And he's going to the UFC. Gets a triangle choke over Austin Hubbard. I thought Austin Hubbard was good. thought he was legit. But Kurt outstruck him. Despite landing two takedowns, I mean, couldn't really do much with them. Got them both in round one, so even if he won round one off of that. But man, congrats to Kurt. Kurt is it Kurt old? He was born in 86. Doesn't that make him 37? Oh my goodness. Kurt is a very old man. He's actually 36, but still. Still good for Kurt. You won the Ultimate Fighter. You'll make it to the UFC. I did see MMA Theory on um, Instagram proposed he fight Evans Elder. And a younger, lightweight fighter. And you know what? I could get behind that. But not too much more to say here. Congrats to Brad Katona and Kurt Hallball for both winning their respective divisions on season 31 of The Ultimate Fighter. Was it the best season? Now it was mid. The Ultimate Fighter's been kind of lame as of late. I mean, McGregor and Chandler couldn't even save it. I just felt like Chandler cared too much and McGregor cared too little. And it just didn't gel well. But you know what? It is what it is. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hopefully, those those two fight in January. I've heard they're not fighting in um, in December, according to Dana White. But we'll see. We'll see. Big fight up next as Gregory Rodriguez finishes Dennis Tallulah in a minute and forty three seconds with some nasty ground and pound. Gregory Rodriguez coming off a loss against Bruno Ferreira earlier this year. Got knocked out cold. Dennis Tallulah had been coming off a submission loss earlier this year against Jun Young Park. 
someone had to lose, and it was Dennis DeLulin. Of the minute and 43 seconds of the fight, I mean, Gregory Rodriguez landed a takedown, went one for two, took him down, landed some nasty ground and pound. I mean, only took six strikes, and he's, he's victorious, ladies and gentlemen. He was victorious, and I know he's a fan favorite. I know people were saying he should fight Chris Curtis. He's currently ranked number 14th. I like that fight. I think it could be a chance for either of those guys to prove they belong in the rankings. But, man, Gregory Rodriguez, RoboCop, getting another win. What do they call him, the Violent Obama? I think that's his name, actually. Is that, isn't that his nickname? Or am I thinking of someone else? I don't know. Super, super weird nicknames for him. I will note that he did land an illegal elbow in the finishing sequence, but I don't think it would have affected the fight as, uh, in total for the outcome. So, A fight against Chris Curtis could be a good opportunity to uh, get back into the rankings for Gregory Rodriguez. I know a lot of people are rooting for him. You know what? I'll root for you, man. Okay, our final prelim of the night saw Brad Tavares take on the returning Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman, ladies and gentlemen, broke his leg in brutal fashion at UFC 261 over two years ago. He returned to the octagon and just simply got outstruck by Brad Tavares. Brad wins 30-27. Brad snapped a little two-fight losing streak with this win. Chris Weidman now falls to a two-fight losing streak and is actually 1-4 in, in his last five fights, so... Weidman, Dana was encouraging him to retire, but who knows? He Chris Weidman says he's he's ready to come back better than ever, but I don't I don't know. Chris Weidman is uh, almost forty; he turns forty next June, so maybe time to hang it up, Chris. You're thirty nine. That's for Brad Tavares, though. I mean, good win for him, outstriking Chris Weidman, getting it done. I was seeing uh, MMA Theory proposing he fight Abus Magomedov. I like that fight, and as for uh, Chris Weidman fight. He was saying Nick Diaz, and I like that fight. Nick Diaz versus Chris Weidman just seems like a perfect fight you could do if Nick ever wants to fight in the UFC again. And as for Weidman, you're not going to win a belt, Chris. I don't know why you think you will. I just hope you can retire after a victory. I think he should get a win. Call it quits because he's going to take some more damage, and I do not want him to take any more damage. But, yeah, that, those are our prelims. Um, How did I do, guys? I went... Two, three, four, four and one, five and one, five and two on the prelims, so not too bad, but overall, ten and two on the whole card, because we went five and oh on the main card. This this was a fun main card. Is it one of the best? No. I mean it ended strong, but certainly didn't start too strong. So let's dive in to this card. We kicked off Sorry, we kicked off the card with a bantamweight fight between number six ranked Marlon Vera and number ten ranked Pedro Munoz. Tail of the fight, I mean, 141 significant strikes for Marlon, 113 for Pedro Munoz. Both go 0 for 1 on takedowns. Round one, Marlon outstruck Pedro by one. Round two, he outstruck him by four. And in round three, he outstruck him by 23 strikes. So Marlon got better as the fight went on. Uh, I know people were saying that uh, it was closer than 30-27, uh, but I personally had it 30-27. I thought Marlon Vera did enough. Typical um, outclassing striking battle from Marlon Vera. But, I mean, Sean O'Malley even said in the main event, you know, he wants to fight Marlon Vera next, but he didn't He didn't do anything impressive, I would say. He didn't really do anything impressive to warrant him a title shot against Sean O'Malley. I know the UFC likes doing storyline fights like that. But I, I don't know. I feel like Marab should be next. We'll get to that later. 
as for Marlon Mann, I think a fight. Because he's, he's currently ranked number six. I'd put him past Peter Jan and move him up to five. I think a fight against Henry Cejudo would be good. The winner gets a title shot. That's just how I view it. I think that would be an amazing fight. As for Pedro, you just lost. You're currently ranked number 10. You know, how about a fight with Jonathan Martinez for Pedro Munoz, who's currently ranked number 13th? Who knows if Pedro will drop, but I know Marlon. I think Marlon should be bumped up a spot. We'll see, though. We'll see. Um, yeah. Moving on to another bandmate fight of the night as Mario Bautista, who was supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt, took on Damon Blackshear, who stepped in on seven days' notice. Probably even less time, but he fought last weekend and took Mario Bautista to a close decision. They did have it 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. I did have Bautista winning 29-28, but Damon did land more significant strikes, 90-79, to more total strikes, 108-102. to he landed four takedowns. Mario landed two. Three minutes of control time for Demon. Four minutes and four seconds for Mario. I do think round one Demon took. I think round two was close. I did favor Mario, and then Mario clearly won round three. So I think the disputed round would be round two, but it was a very close fight, so it is hard to say. And Mario did have one submission attempt that he almost put Demon with, and he almost locked in a twister at one point. Mario will improve to 13-2 and two professionally and is now on a five-fight win streak. So impressive. Get him in the bandwagon rankings. Um, number 14 ranked Adrian Yanez. Number 12 ranked Ricky Simone. Even number 10 ranked Pedro Munoz, who just fought. Any of those guys for Mario, super happy. As for Demon, man, I mean, it's it's tough to see a lose. You're, you're now um, two and two in the UFC, but he did take this fight on short notice. He took a good fighter in Mario Batista to a close decision. I gotta give him props. Good for you, Damon, but Mario is just better. So hopefully he can get a ranked opponent soon because he's worthy of it. Whew, next up, welterweight Ian Gary Neil Magny. Oh my gosh, was this a weird fight? I mean. First off, Ian Gary went off in promoting this fight. He was just coming at Neil for all sorts of things. I mean, something about beating his kids. He's a boring fighter. He just clinches and stuff. He promised he was going to take it to him. And man, 10 seconds in, he already dropped him with a leg kick. And I knew, wow, Ian Gary was about to do something fantastic. I personally felt they should have been awarding him with leg kick knockdowns, but they didn't really. I don't actually know how Neil Magny survived this fight. I mean, let me read you the stats. 91 significant strikes from Ian. 27 for Neil. I mean, 60% significant striking percentage for Ian Gary. 111 total strikes. 51 for Neil. So he he doubled his total strikes. Two for two on takedowns for Ian Gary as well. Most dominant round of the fight was even round number three. I mean, he absolutely destroyed Neil Magny's leg. He was landing harder punches. He was taking him down with ease and ground and pounding him. Ian Gary, his nickname's the future, and he clearly is the future. He improves the 13-0, and and in the octagon is on a 6. He's 6-0 and in the UFC, 13-0 and overall. He is currently ranked number 13, just beat the number 11 guy. Vicente Luque just won. So Ian will be ranked number 11 minimum, but I do think that Vicente Luque should be ranked number 9, Ian Gary to 10, and we'll put Sean Brady down to 11. But that's just how I view it personally. I mean, we, we can see how anyone else wants to 
do that. But yeah, Ian Gary with a dominant victory. Gosh, I mean, Neil Magny got brutalized here. And but you know what? Ian Gary called for a fight against Wonderboy Thompson, and apparently Stephen Thompson turned down the fight on the night of. Apparently, Dana called him or texted him, or they had the UFC contact him, and he said, no, I don't want to fight Ian Gary. So I don't know. Dana was saying he should fight him at UFC 295 in Madison Square Garden. If he wins that, they could do a UFC Dublin, Ireland card, but I don't know. Good job on Ian Gary. You earn a performance bonus in my book. That was a very good performance, but let me tell you nothing. That The biggest performance of the night was not Sean O'Malley winning. I'm sorry, it wasn't. It was Zhang Wei Li absolutely obliterating Amanda Lemos. Absolute domination. The number three woman's pound-for-pound pound fighter, Zhang Wei Li, should be number one after that performance. You ought to drop Amanda Lemos down a spot for that performance. I mean, let me read you these stats. One knockdown in round number five for Zhang Wei Li, which I don't know how Amanda Lemos didn't get knocked out from it. 163 significant strikes to 24. Total strikes... 296 to 29. Zhang Weili threw 358. And let me tell you something. Of the 296 thrown toll strikes, a 75% landing rate. Whew. She also landed six takedowns out of seven attempts for 16 minutes of control time. So on control time alone, she won the fight. The striking battle, she won the fight. Here are the judges' scorecards. 50-43, 50-44, and 49-45. I had it 50-41, personally. I gave, I gave her four 10-8 rounds. Round number one, 44 significant strikes to one, 74 sin- total strikes to two. I mean, in round number five, 55 significant strikes to one, 114 total strikes to just one. The only round that Mandalimus could have maybe won was round number four. But man, oh my goodness, Zhang Weili went off. She should be the number one pound-for-pound woman following um, the UFC rankings update, but she is legit. And she's got some options, man. She could fight Tatiana Suarez. She could fight Yan Chayon in in China, maybe. Either one of those good fights for her. And as for Amanda Limos, I think maybe move it up in weight could be the move for her. I mean, she could could obviously fight at strawweight still, but I think think the move could be a flyweight for her. She is kind of big. Well, the weight class... Actually, no, she's not. She just appears to be big in a UFC fourth it's, that's what confuses me but Zhang Weili man that's she gets a performance bonus too she deserves it man she deserves it oh my gosh I can't get over it it was nuts she absolutely obliterated Amanda Lemos and there was at least two instances where Amanda Lemos almost submitted her with darts chokes Whew, I don't know how Zhang Weili survived those but she did and she kept laying on the pressure and she now finds herself on a little three fight win streak all of them getting performance bonuses. Amazing stuff for her. Amanda Lemos, back to the back to the lab for her. Who knows what's next? But Zhang Weili, you live it up. You live it up. My Chinese princess gets it done. My Chinese queen. Oh, she just oh, she gets something going in me. She's just so dominant. Just destroys every other person that tries to fight her. Zhang Weili. Also, she has this like little funny relationship with Colby Covington. They were tweeting at each other. I thought it was I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, Colby said, like, amazing job, and she said, thank you, handsome, which was like a callback to their uh, press conference moment moment from UFC 268 back in uh, November 2021. Whew, enough of that. Enough of me um, 
gloating about how much I love Zhang Weili and how Dominic's performance was. Let's get into this main event. Let's get into it. Because does it feel real yet? I don't know. Has it set in, guys, that Sean O'Malley has actually just done it and won the Bantamweight Championship? I mean, let me break down the fight for you guys. It, uh, it lasted 5 minutes and 51 seconds. Round number one, not much happened. Significant strikes 13 to 8. Total strikes 20 to 8 in favor of Aljamain Sterling. 0 for 1 on takedowns for Aljamain with 21 seconds of control time to end the fight, which was just him pressing up against O'Malley on the cage. Aljamain took round one, but not much happened. Round number two gets going. All right. Competitive, going at it, going at it, and then Aljamain overreaches. Stir, um, Aljamain overreaches. Sean O'Malley comes back and boom, lands a straight right to the jaw. I mean, you could even see Aljamain close his eyes. He knew what was coming. He drops him, lands a bunch of follow-up punches. I see people disputing the stoppage. Could it have maybe been considered early? Yes. But I mean, right before Aljamain rolled to his side, Aljamain, um, Sean O'Malley landed a giant um, straight-down punch on him, something like you would see in Stack Garden. Oh, man, I don't know how Aljamain ate that, but I thought it was a good stoppage, and I cannot believe Sean O'Malley is actually the bantamweight champion of the world. 17-1 and one in his career. He's now on a five-fight win streak. I mean, he had a no contest there. I don't know if that negates it, but of his last uh, five wins, they've all gotten performance or fight the night bonuses. I mean, just crazy stuff. It all made Sean O'Malley, ladies and gentlemen. From unranked in um, 2020, honestly. 2021, I don't even know if he was ranked. To UFC champion in August of 2023. Just an incredible journey for him. Incredible journey. He'll take over the number one spot, the champion spot. And I mean, Aljamain will probably be bumped down to number one contender. Murad to number two. And Aljamain Sterling was ranked number six in the men's pound for pound. He just got knocked out. In the second round, does that mean Sean O'Malley's the number six pound for pound fighter in the world? I cannot believe it. That's the case, I think. I think you got to put Sean O'Malley as the number six pound for pound fighter in the world. I mean, it's just crazy. Crazy. He gets the performance bonus. He deserves it so much. And man, I was I was electric. I was just absolutely electric when it happened. I was going nuts. I was running around my girlfriend's room. I was. It, it was hype. Sean O'Malley. You... Congratulations. You deserve it. Him and Tim Welch, they've been together for so long. Grinded it out, putting all the work. And now you're the champion. But what's next? I mean, you it's it's sad, you know? I mean, I, I gave it two days. I gave it two days before I started talking about what's next. Because, I mean, you don't really like to go like, oh, let's already move on to the next fight. But it's fun to talk about. I mean, obviously, it's either, I think it's Marab. I think it's got to be Marab. I mean, Algerine wants a rematch. That, uh, that doesn't even make sense. All right, it's either Marab or Marlon Vera, which I think Marab makes more sense. The storyline's there. He just beat his best friend. He he stole his jacket. I mean, there's so much history just in the last year with these two. Actually, the last months with these two. And Marab's on a ridiculous win streak. But, man, Sean O'Malley, ladies and gentlemen. Sean O'Malley. I mean, honestly, you could do the Marlon Vera fight. But I think the Marab fight makes more sense. As for Aljamain, he doesn't know if he should move to featherweight. I think if he does, he could fight Max Holloway after Max destroys the Korean zombie. 
But if he chooses to stay, I mean, you could do a Corey Sandhagen rematch. You could have him fight Song Dong. You could even have him fight Marlon Vera. I don't know, but... Man, UFC 292. The night belongs to Sean O'Malley and Zhang Weili. And Sean O'Malley is your new bandweight champion. I've, I've posted it over everywhere. I've been talking about it. I mean, it is. Boom. It just blows my mind that Sean O'Malley has actually managed to do it and get the victory. Huge congrats to him. Huge congrats. And as we end with Sean O'Malley at UFC 292 holding up his belt, so we end this episode of the Surprise Jab Podcast. It was a good one. It was a good one back here at college in my uh, in my apartment, ch- testing out different rooms where I can record and stuff. I'm currently in my bedroom. But yeah, we went over uh, Dana White's Contender Series, which goes down tomorrow. Whenever you listen to this, that'll be August 22nd. We went over a bunch of fancy football notes I got from so-called experts in quotation marks. Uh, we went over processed foods as our surprise topic, the dangers of them, how to avoid them, and just how to be aware of them. And we recapped UFC 292. Um, I'll be for sure ranking every event at the end of the year. And this was certainly not in the bottom. This was in the top of the pay-per-views of the year. Very much happy I was able to watch it. And man, we'll be back next weekend with uh, UFC uh, Singapore. Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. I mean, the prelims start at 4 a.m. Main card at 7 a.m. I love it. I'll be an early bird for it. I think we're going to be dropping that uh, predictions episode uh, Thursday. I think my plan is, but who knows when it'll drop. And, of course, more surprise topics. Let me know. Shout out to all my listeners all over. I appreciate you guys so much. Follow the Instagram. Follow me on TikTok, on Snapchat. Follow me on Verdict. Follow me everywhere you can, okay? I'm happy that we were able to uh, share this lovely time together and learn about processed foods, about UFC. And about fantasy football. Okay, we'll be back with another installment of the Surprise Jab Podcast later. Everyone, stay blessed.